Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Morning guys, morning, morning. So if you go back to the first century in Palestine, no one was more hated than Jewish tax collectors. So we go back to the first century and we talk about the nation of Israel. We need to understand that Israel was not a nation at all. It was a collection of provinces under the control, under the dominion, under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And that alone for Jewish people was humiliating and demoralizing. But then add to that taxes. So as a first century Jew, when you pay taxes, your money didn't go to improve schools in Israel or... uh, transportation or sanitation or healthcare in Israel. When you as a first century Jew paid your taxes, they went to one of two places. Number one, your taxes went to Rome. Which is kind of interesting if you think about it because there's this relatively impoverished group of people in the first century called the Jews giving their money to the wealthiest nation on earth, Rome. But there was a second place that tax money went in the first century So if you pay taxes as a first century Jew, your taxes went to Rome and also went to Jewish tax collectors. So in Palestine, the Romans hired Jews to collect taxes for them, only they didn't pay them. This is what they said. They said, look it, you need to go out and collect our taxes for us. And as you go out, you will go out with the might of the Roman Empire behind you. You will go out with the strength of the Roman Empire behind you. You will go out with the threat of the Roman Empire behind you. So when you go collect taxes for us, get what we need, and then whatever else you can grab, grab it. That's your wage. And so that's what first century Jewish tax collectors did. They became incredibly wealthy. They made money on the misery of their own people. They extorted their own people. They stole from their own people. And in a relatively impoverished nation, they became rich. Like if you were making a list of pros and cons to become a first century Jewish tax collector, the list of pros was pretty short. I already mentioned it. Get rich. There was a lot of cons. If you became a Jewish tax collector, a collector immediately your family would disown you. Like you would never talk to them again. They would avoid you. You would be completely ostracized. If you became a tax collector, even though your family had disowned you, you would also know this, that they would be disgraced, that they would be humiliated for the rest of their lives in front of their neighbors and their friends because you were a part of their family. If you became a Jewish tax collector and you had friends before, they were no longer your friends. They did not wish you well. They wished you ill. And if they could get away with it, they would do you great harm. As a tax collector, you needed to know that you were dismissed, uh, barred from the synagogue. Your testimony would not, was not admissible in Jewish court. Jewish religious leaders in the first century taught the Jewish people, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't ever lie unless, unless you lie to a tax collector. Then it's okay because they're not even human. So you wonder, who in the world would become a tax collector? You had no friends at all. I mean, maybe a couple of other tax collectors, but who wants them as friends, right? I read one historian who said, in the first century in Palestine, Jewish tax collectors were lowlifes, 
criminals and losers. And that last word hit me pretty hard. Losers. I don't like that word a whole lot. I don't like the use of that word a whole lot, especially from a historian. Loser. It's kind of vague, kind of all-encompassing. And it got me thinking every loser has a story. Every tax collector has a story, too. Like one man who was born and raised in this city called Jericho. It was part of the province of Judea. Jericho was near the Dead Sea and was considered a cursed city. And for this particular man, it sure worked out that way. His mother died giving birth to him. And his father, instead of going in to hold his newborn son, instead of going in to comfort his newborn son, and instead of going in to hug his newborn son, abandoned him without even setting eyes on him once he found out that his wife was dead. And for a few days, this little baby had no support, no one to look after him, until reluctantly, an aunt and uncle stepped up. And they said, look it, we'll keep him alive and that's it. He was never a part of that family, and that became very evident when they had three children of their own. They were the family. So the family of five, his three cousins and his uncle and aunt, they would eat first, and then he was allowed to eat. And when times were tough, he just got scraps. The clothes he wore were hand-me-downs from his younger cousins. You say, that's weird. Why is he wearing hand-me-downs from his younger cousins? Kid was small, always small for his size. Real short, some people suggest it was because he received just enough to keep him alive nutritionally, but not enough to help him grow and thrive. His cousins would pick on him, the younger kids in the neighborhood would actually beat him up, but he knew better than to complain. If he would have ever gone to his uncle and aunt to complain, they would have said, oh, you don't like it here? Head to the streets. And that's where he was headed anyways, by the way. His uncle and aunt never paid for him to get an education, he never had a chance to apprentice for a trade, so his future would be involved um, begging on the streets just to get enough to eat. Or maybe if he was lucky, he could catch on as a shepherd, kind of like the lowest rung of the Jewish social ladder. So I guess it depends on what you refer to as a loser. I guess in terms of his life, a series of loss after loss after loss after loss I guess that might make him a loser. So it wasn't really all that surprising when at the age of 19, he walked up to a Roman official in the city of Jericho and he said, I would like to become a tax collector. The Roman official looked at this short 19 year old and said, do you know what you're asking? You'll be hated for the rest of your life. You'll be isolated for the rest of your life. You'll be ostracized for the rest of your life. Out loud he said, Yes, sir, inside he thought, so what'll change? He started out as an apprentice tax collector, but he rose through the ranks until he became chief tax collector of this region around Jericho, he became very wealthy. But he was still hated, still isolated, still short, still awkward, but now he was rich. And some nights he would sit in his beautiful house. And he would think to himself, you know what, not once in my life have I ever been chosen. Not once in my life have I ever been held. Not once in my life have I ever been 
seen. Not once in my life have I ever been loved. There, there were certain nights that he would sit in this house paid for, paid for with the money that he made through the misery of his people. He would sit there in his house and he would think, not once in my life have I ever been happy. This tax collector's name was Zacchaeus. One day Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name was Zacchaeus. The head tax man and quite rich He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today's my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We're in this series based on the 12 steps of recovery. And today marks a little bit of a turning point. Up till now, through the first seven steps, we've been called to look in and look up. Through the first seven steps, we've been called to look in and look up, to look at ourselves and look to God, look at ourselves and look to God. But today, we're gonna see a change. We're gonna be called to look around. Not only are we gonna be looking in and looking up, but we're gonna start looking around. We're gonna start looking at other people because here's the thing, no matter where you find yourself today, If you're in a place of challenge today, if you're in a place of struggle today, if you're in a place of brokenness today, if you're in a place of hurt today, if you're in a place of compulsion today, if you're in a place of uh, obsession today, or addiction today, or anxiety today, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know for sure about you. You didn't get here all by yourself. If there's an area in your life today where the truth would be this, that you are struggling, I'm guessing, I'm betting, I know for sure you didn't get there all by yourself. And this journey that we're on presupposes this, that we're gonna step intentionally out of bondage into freedom, into healing and into recovery. And my suggestion is that the journey to get here, we didn't take that journey alone, and the journey to get there it's not gonna be by ourselves either. We've been impacted by, we've been influenced by, we've been inspired by other people. And the rest of this journey, as we move towards freedom, towards healing, towards recovery, we will be impacted by, and we will impact, influence, and inspire others too. So starting in step eight, we're not only gonna look up, we're not only gonna look in, we're gonna look around. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have gone before us, that this moment is no accident. That you have a plan and a purpose for this time, for every single person, in person or online, you have a plan. So Father, I pray that you would make me faithful in conveying the words that you have given me to speak. And for all of us, God, I pray that we would lean in 
with a sense of expectation. That you would give us ears to hear. That you would give us minds to understand, but mostly, God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, that you would give us courage today. Because step eight is not easy. In your name, amen. Step eight says this. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. This is a big one. This is about compassion. Compassion, compassion, compassion towards those we have hurt, compassion. And in order to have compassion, we need to be able to take responsibility. And again, the significant presupposition that I'm making here, and it's very important, the presupposition I'm making here is that you have a desire to change, that you have a desire to grow. Years ago, I had somebody come up to me and they said, you know what I love about Southside Church? Southside Church makes church people uncomfortable and non-church people comfortable. I like that a lot. I'm about to make some church people a little bit uncomfortable. Because here's what I know about God, here's what I know about his plan for you and his plan for me. He loves us exactly as we are right now, just as we are in this moment, but he always relentlessly moves us, inspires us, challenges us to move towards greater freedom, to move towards greater hope, to move towards greater recovery. Why? Because. Not only do we look around and see others have impacted, inspired, and influenced us, as we travel this journey, it's so important to note that our kids are gonna be inspired by us, that our friends are gonna be influenced by us, that our parents are gonna be impacted by us. This journey, this journey, it's not just about you. God's gonna be relentless. He's gonna accept you exactly as you are. But my presupposition today, whether you've been going to church for 45 years or 45 minutes, is you don't wanna be the same person tomorrow as you are today. That's the goal, that's the dream. I mention that because step eight is about compassion. And in order to have compassion, in order to have compassion, you gotta be willing to take responsibility and you're not very good at it. Neither am I. I was gonna stand up here and I was gonna say, it doesn't come natural. I'm not even sure about that. I know this, that our world does not give us a great example of compassion and does not give us a great example of taking responsibility. There's a lot of confusing message around compassion in our world today. One that I would bring up is something called virtue signaling. You ever heard of virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is the opposite of compassion. Let me make sure I said that really clearly. Virtue signaling is the opposite of compassion. Virtue signaling is when I see somebody or a group of people or even a whole nation of people might be down the street, might be on the other side of the world, and I see their tragedy and I see their trauma and I see their struggle and I see the pain that they're walking through and I reach out publicly in support of them and my motivation is what? That others might think that I'm a really great person. 
Virtue signaling is when I see somebody or a group of somebody's, might even be a whole nation of people that are experiencing trauma, struggle, pain, tragedy, and I publicly reach out on their behalf so that my status will be elevated. It's actually the, ap- the opposite of compassion because in order to have compassion, you need to take responsibility. A phrase to summarize Virtue signaling would be this phrase. You've heard it, maybe. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers to those devastated people down the street. Thoughts and prayers to those heartbroken people around the world. Thoughts and prayers to that cause. Thoughts and prayers to that tragedy. Can I ask you to do me a favor? Don't ever post that again. Don't don't ever post that again. You say, well, Mike, are you you telling me that prayers aren't important? No, no, you should pray. You should pray. If, if, If God puts on your attention a tragedy going on down the street or on the other side of the world, you should definitely pray. You just don't need to tell anybody about it. And here's the thing. When you do pray for that person or that group of people or maybe even that whole nation of people, here's one of the ways that I know that God's gonna answer your prayer. I know he will. One of the ways that he's gonna answer your prayer, I know he'll answer it. One of the ways that he'll do it is this. He'll spur you on to action. So here's what I think we should start doing. Instead of posting thoughts and prayers, I have a better idea. You're gonna love it. You're gonna absolutely love it. I told you this was gonna get a little bit heavy. Okay, you guys are like, oh man. Okay, but here's the thing. You're gonna love this. Here, here, here's a good thing though. You're gonna love this idea. Here it is. Instead of thoughts and prayers, time and money. Start posting time and money. Time and money to that tragedy. Time and money to that cause. Time and money to the, that person. Time and money to that group of people on the other side of the world. Time and money. And then tell people how much time you've invested into working on behalf of that cause. Tell tell people how much money that you've spent on, on, on acting on behalf of those struggling people. And then say, this is the time and this is the money that I have given. I would love for you to follow my lead and do the same. The problem is sometimes we think that we've done something by posting thoughts and prayers. And I, and, I, and I just wanna say that we haven't. That's not taking responsibility. It, it's virtue signaling. And, it, and it's the reason why over the last few years, as a church, and that's you, if you give to this church, if you're a partner with this church, we've given millions and millions of dollars. Why? Three really clear reasons. We wanna bring the hope of Jesus to the city and to this world. We want to bring tangible help to the city and to this world, and we want to bring a sense of connection and love to the city and to this world. That's it. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's it. Because we prayed. (laughs) We prayed, and we felt God spurred us on to action. Compassion is a little bit confusing. You know what else is a little bit confusing in our culture is taking responsibility, taking responsibility. We live in a bit of an outrage society. Cancel culture, ever heard of it? Outrage society. Everyone's pretty angry. I heard someone say the other day that in, in North America today we have two emotions, angry and asleep. 
we're either angry or we're asleep. We're, we're angry, right? And, and I, I think sometimes that we think that just being enraged about something is taking responsibility to make things better. And I would suggest to you that it's not. Being enraged about something is just being enraged about something. So every once in a while, I'll be driving down the road and I'll see somebody with a bumper sticker that says, bleep Trudeau, you know? Bleep him. Or bleep Trump. Bleep Trudeau. You notice how I attacked the left and the right there? Bleep Trudeau and bleep Trump. Bleep them both, you know? And, and here's the weird thing. There's probably plenty of reasons why those guys would just frost your flakes and drive you crazy. I get it. And, I, and, and, and hey, I'm not, I'm not disputing your right to be angry. I'm not. I'm not even disputing your bumper sticker, but every once in a while, what I feel like doing is asking the person with the truck or the car or the whatever that says bleep Trump or bleep Trudeau, just a quick question, hey, can you just do me one favor? Can you make sure that you're just loving your wife? Can you just make sure that you're encouraging your kids? Because that's actually changing the world, right? Can you make sure that when you blew it with your friends, you're actually um, apologizing? Making things right. I think what happens in our, and there's plenty to get angry about. Sometimes I find myself waking up, I pick up my phone, and 10 seconds later, I'm enraged. But we just need to be very careful that we don't um, confuse the fact that we're enraged and expressing our rage and the fact that we've taken responsibility over every, anything. Something called the cancel culture now. The cancel culture is interesting. It's when a group of people get together, a group of people, a significant sized group of people, get together and decide that their goal is to destroy someone else's life. For getting caught doing something very much like the things that they themselves do but have never got caught doing. Cancel culture is when a significant group of people gather together and decide to destroy someone's life for doing something, for getting caught doing something, very much like some of the stuff that they do but have never yet got caught doing. And what I think that that does is I think it does for you and me, we're not great at this whole taking responsibility thing. Because we've been kind of taught that it's a lot easier just to make excuses or place blame. Make excuses, place blame. Make excuses, place blame. Make excuses, place blame. When God's call for you and God's call for me is, hey, take responsibility. There's this prayer in recovery circles called the serenity prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the stuff I can't change, right? You know what placing blame and making excuses is? Placing blame and making excuses. Placing blame and making excuses. Placing blame and making excuses. You know what it is? It's not accepting the things you can't change. It's living in the things that you can't change. It's diving into, embracing, living in, inundating yourself with things that you can't change. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, the problem with it, if you live in this place of making excuses and placing blame, making excuses and placing blame, you never really get to the whole courage to change the things I can't change. Because you're living in the things you can't change. And the wisdom to know the difference. 
I guess maybe that's part of taking responsibility, the wisdom to know the difference. Because we can spend our whole lives, right? We can spend our whole lives, you guys. This is who I am. This is why I'm not who I should be. This is why I say the stuff that I say. This is why I do the things I do. It's, it's, it's him, it's her, it's them. It's placing blame and making excuses instead of taking responsibility. Can you imagine going back to first century Palestine? Me neither, but let's say that you could. And you talk to Zacchaeus. Be an interesting conversation to talk to Zacchaeus, right? Dude, I get it. Like, honestly, I do. Your life was horrible. But come on, man. Why are you making money off the misery of your people? Why are you stealing from them? Why are you extorting from them? Why are you living this rich life in a, amongst a relatively impoverished people? Why would you do that? I guarantee you, if we were able to have that conversation with Zacchaeus, he'd have a lot of good excuses. Good ones. And a lot of excellent spots to place the blame. It's not just him. I'm unreal at it. I'm, at, I'm unreal at making excuses. So are you. I'm great at placing blame. I was reading the other day, actual excuses for car accidents. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and vanished. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before. I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. And finally, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. I pulled, over, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the, okay, well, other than that last one, those are lame excuses, okay? <laughs> those are a bunch of lame excuses right there. Here's the thing, I'm way better at making excuses than that. I don't need to talk about like telephone poles jumping out of nowhere at me, I don't need to do that, neither do you. We're way better at making excuses than that. We're way better at placing blame than that. Because here's the thing about you. You really are great at making excuses. You really are great at placing blame. And here's why. Because you have suffered. You have been hurt. You have been betrayed. You have been traumatized. Like to some degree. Like I wish I could, like the things that have happened to you in your life, I wish I could go back and fix them and make sure they didn't happen, but they did. To some degree, on some level, you have every right to make those excuses. You have every right to, pray, to place that blame. However, is that where you want to live? Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, inspired by God. He said this, cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. And that's what we do regardless of our conditions. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God, regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's come to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I 
can't change. I wish it would not have gone that way. I do. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Step eight is no joke. Really, really difficult for me. Really, really difficult for you. Carrying our responsibility, it's a heavy load. I think we gotta invite Jesus into this process. And the Bible says that when we admit that we're weak, he is strong. I think we need his strength to carry our responsibilities. You look at Zacchaeus, it was only when he came face to face with Jesus. It was only when he came face to face with Jesus. It's only when he met the eyes of Jesus that he said, you know what, I've been ripping people off. I've been making money on the misery of my own people. I've been extorting, I've been stealing. Hmm. It's time to make things right. Only when he came face to face with Jesus. That's the goal. Step eight, compassion, compassion, compassion for those we've hurt, compassion, taking responsibility. I'd go even a step further. As you spend some time this week, I would ask you to even go this far. When you're making that list of people you have hurt, include include people who hurt you first. Include people who hurt you first. That's tough. All series long, we've been <clears throat> handing out a worksheet. Every week, if you're here in person, they're always available out in the lobby. Whether you're in person or online, you can always text the keyword 12 to 604-670-3040. This one's a big one. This is a week that if you haven't done any of the worksheets up till now, I think you're gonna need the worksheet this week. I know I will. Give you a little taste. Here's 10 questions to consider. Is there anyone to whom I owe a debt that I haven't repaid? Is there anyone I've broken a promise to? Is there anyone I am guilty of controlling or manipulating? Is there anyone I am overly possessive of? Is there anyone I am hypercritical of? Have I ever been verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive to anyone? Is there anyone I have not appreciated or paid attention to? Did I forget a child's birthday or my anniversary? Maybe. Is there anyone I have been unfaithful to? Have I ever lied to anyone? It's heavy, it's heavy. My big presupposition here is that we wanna change, that we wanna grow. And I wanna ask you just to leave, like if you could make a list this week, that's a lot. Just stop there. Don't do anything with it yet, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week. You're like, oh wow, more cheerful banter next week, Mike? Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Throw some mother-in-law jokes out there again, it's gonna be great. But the list is it for now. So here's the thing. 
We've been looking in, we've been looking up, now we're gonna start to look around, cause wherever I am today, whatever area of my life is not everything that it should be. I haven't experienced that freedom and that hope and that joy. I got to this place of struggle, being inspired by, being influenced by, being impacted by other people, right? But the great thing is, once we decide to take that journey, we will continue to be inspired by, impacted by, and influenced by others in a positive way, and, 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 we will be an inspiration. Isn't that cool? Whether you're a mom or a dad, whether you're a, a coach, an aunt, an uncle, a son or a daughter, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine if the people looked at you and thought, man, you're a little different. I don't mean you're different, different. I mean like changing. You know, you're changing. That's an inspiration. That's an impact. That's the influence that we want to have. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Father, this is a heavy load. This whole taking responsibility thing, it's a heavy load. We need your help. Help us to carry this responsibility. Because what we really want is a fresh start, and, 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 and that involves accepting your forgiveness, forgiving those who have hurt us, but also turning the page, turning the page, turning the page, even on the things that we have done. So Father, I pray that you would make us people of compassion, people of responsibility, that you would day by day, moment by moment, bring us to greater hope and greater freedom and greater recovery. We know you will. We trust you. In your name, amen. Love you guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.